right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sally here got a fun interview with Steph Curry coming up shortly. We chatted for about 30 minutes uh, a few days ago ahead of him receiving the Charlie Sifford Award. I love talking with this dude. I love just hearing about all the things he's got going on in the game of golf and speaking to him about his passion and the impact he's making and I think the impact he's going to make throughout uh, the course of his playing career and whatever comes after his basketball playing career, because it sounds like he's going to be involved in golf in a lot of ways. Uh, we really appreciate his time. We appreciate Whoop, the partner for this episode, the official fitness wearable of the PGA Tour. If you somehow don't know by now, Whoop is a sleek, screenless wearable. It tracks your sleep, tracks your strain, your recovery, your stress, and more with personalized insights that help you reach your goals. You might be you know, trying to squeeze out a little more effort in the gym. You might be trying to shoot your lowest scores this year, get the few extra hours of sleep. Whoop helps you build better habits and make healthier choices. I know the first time I got the Whoop, I've told the story many times, but was just having a mindless beer at 9.30 p.m. some nights and just finding out that, hey, that caused me to lose 24% of my rest overnight because my heart rate is spiking and it's my body's not actually resting. Getting Nine hours of sleep is not all equal unless you're getting real, actual sleep and that gives you data and helps you make better decisions to lead to better sleep, better rest, better energy throughout the course of the day. Cannot say enough great things about Whoop. Strength trainer, stress monitor. You can track the intensity of your weightlifting and you can manage your stress levels with a real-time stress score and science back breath work. You can try Whoop for one month free and get ready to unlock the best version of yourself. Go to Whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com to get started. Use code NLU and save 10% off your order here is Steph Curry. I know you're a basketball player first, but you got to tell me there's at least a tiny little part of you that when an NBA season is starting to fire up, that means less golf. Like I know, I know at least a little bit about you when it comes to golf. I, I know that there's a little bit in there. Tell me that's true. Oh, 100%, especially uh, on my golf season in the summer went this year. What's that mean? Just won a tournament, obviously, played in the. Uh, in the match with my my teammate Clay and Mahomes and Kelsey, so like the amount of golf that I played this summer was uh, was solid. To your point, though, when October hits, like I, every time I pull up my garage, I look at my clubs and see them collecting cobwebs and all that. And uh, it even sucks more this year because Callaway just sent me the new the new uh, cavity bag and muscle bag apex pros and all that so i just got those and i'm not gonna be able to use them for a while so they're definitely bittersweet going in my 15 year in the league i'm definitely blessed to you know keep hooping and still playing at a high level but uh your imagination creeps into what 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 will the those nine months without basketball look like for my golf game is there no is there no golf like during basketball season like how do you do you get you got to get some stuff in while you're on the road i know you got a favorite course in each city when the weather permits yeah, it's kind of hit or miss. I would say it probably averages to like twice a month uh, during the season. And, you know, you're dealing with daylight, obviously, with uh, practice. Like you can't get out of the gym early enough to go out and, and make it worth it. But then we're hitting East Coast cities most of the winter. So, yeah, I'd say probably twice a month. But spring and then come playoff time, I actually play a lot more. Uh, it's great kind of a balance of the intensity and the pressure of 
the season and being able to get away for a little bit uh, when I can fit it in and uh, not wear myself out either. Uh, somebody's got to get up to get into your Wikipedia page. It's still, they have you as a five handicap in there, and I don't know if that's what led you to lead, to win. Uh, yeah, what, what is the actual index at these days? So after uh, every handicap uh, disclaimer, or uh, you got to have a whole kind of <laughs> essay before I actually say the number, but I had, like I said, I played the best golf of my life this summer. I had to put in a bunch of tournament scores this year. So I actually got uh, down to a plus three at Ooh. one point. So obviously I wasn't winning too many bets after that. Definitely a nice vanity uh, handicap. But um, it's tough. when like I, I probably played to it for probably three weeks in the summer. And then the closer you get to the season – uh, you got to carry it, but we'll see what happens. Well, that's the worst. You're not going to get enough rounds in either to let the stuff start falling yeah. off and, and all that. I've, I've, I've been through those cycles. It, you cannot maintain a, a playing pace at that because at some point you're going to start playing less. No, 100%. I keep looking at my card, and there's probably like five rounds in the 60s that I'm just waiting for them to fall off. Because, But it, to your point, though, it is nice to be playing some good golf where you actually stuff that you're working on is starting to – to take shape and playing in that American century in Tahoe, like you have to kind of play to that. There's so much talent up there. Uh, you kind of got to play around that number and do it for three straight days uh, to win it. So to finally get that done was pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, come on. You played Corn Ferry event. You shot a 71 in a Corn Ferry event. But like, come on. I want to see. I want to see you back. Like, taking some more exemptions. Have there been more opportunities since that? I know you played back to back years, I believe, uh, in the one out there. Have there been more opportunities, and will you take any more in the future? Uh, I, I definitely would if the opportunity presents itself. What the interesting part about the uh, LMA Classic out at TPC Stonebury out in the Bay? I played in. I think it was 17 and 18. Um, and then that next year, the tournament left and didn't it wasn't hosted at the same venue. So there's always been conversations. Um, actually, I don't think there's been an actual offer since then, but I definitely have an appetite to find some type of competitive golf uh, moving forward, especially when I'm done playing. It's kind of cool just to know, like, I know there's a huge conversation when I played in before about what a sponsor's exemption actually means and you're not taking somebody's spot and all that. So once we got past the narrative of that, it's like, it's such a cool opportunity to, you know, shine a light on whatever tournament it is, you know, obviously test my medal out there with the pros, but you know, when you put golf on display for the world, like it, everybody's trying to figure out a way to bring some fresh energy to it. And uh, for me to highlight what those amazing pros are doing on the corn Ferry tour, show how good they really are. Um, you know, tell a couple of stories with some of the guys, like it was, it was a it was an amazing experience, so I would definitely do it again. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this on Saturday night after Lexi just missed the cut at the Shriners. I was watching all of that. I would not have been watching on ESPN Plus on a Friday afternoon if it wasn't for that. Like unrestricted sponsors exemptions, you should take any one that you get uh, as long as it falls when you when that plus three is peaking. So uh -huh. <laughs> exactly, I ain't going out there embarrassing myself. <laughs> well. Congratulations on being named the 2024 Charlie Sifford Award winner. Uh, your work with the Howard Golf Team, you know, has been has de been decently well documented in the golf world, and I want to follow up with that. But tell us about the underrated golf tour, what you're doing there. It's remarkable from the stuff I've heard. I don't think I fully appreciated until I was uh, getting ready to chat with you tonight. But tell us about what that is and what you've seen out of that program so far. It's been great, man. I think uh, the foundation of the underrated golf tour is – continue to boost resources and opportunity for the underrepresented, especially in the, the competitive golf age where, you know, some of their counterparts are, you know, playing in some of the AJGA events that are amazing around the country. And 
Uh, we're trying to find, you know, a way to kind of boost up that pipeline of how do we get more black and brown kids out there on the golf course, uh, you know, supporting uh, them and their families in terms of getting uh, them to the venues and creating first class experiences for them at, you know, PGA major type venues, creating a, a base where, you know, these kids really believe that, you know, they're first, they're talented. Second, that if you give them the experience and, and boost confidence and give them uh, an opportunity to shine, that it can change lives. And for us to be where we are in our second year, we've had 10 total tour stops. Uh, we've supported, uh, there's equity on both the boys and girls side. This year, we're up to about 100 uh, tour members that got to travel to four different venues around the country, play in two-day tournaments. Uh, we had a local qualifier for uh, kids who were in, in whichever region, and they all kind of competed uh, through those tour stops. And then there's a Curry Cup out in the Bay Area where we brought the top 12 boys and the top 13 girls out for the uh, the, the, the tournament or the sorry the championship tournament. And uh, scholarships have been awarded. Everything's free of charge for for the kids to to come to each event. We have some amazing sponsors and supporters. Uh, KPMG was the title sponsor this year who've really shown up in a meaningful way to give these kids a first class experience. And a lot of kids are left behind in this age range where, um, you know, they can't afford to go to all the different tournaments. They haven't had the the uh, the same kind of runway to qualify for certain events. And so uh, we've had two or three in our first year and hopefully a lot more. They're going to get college scholarships out of, you know, out of the exposure that they've had through the tournament. I'm sorry, through the tour. And, you know, we're just getting started we're trying to take it international next summer, uh, hopefully have kind of an introductory tour stop over and uh, across the pond in Europe and eventually kind of grow uh, the same format overseas. And this is a long way to answer what it really is. But the biggest thing is that golf is such a vehicle for change, not just in the playing perspective, like the competitive golf element can take kids to college scholarships, like I said, you know, further their educational experiences, networking. All the while, we're trying to teach them, you know, workforce skills and character development skills that can help them uh, and prepare them for wherever they end up. We obviously the North Stars to get uh, as many uh, as much more representation on both the LPGA, PGA tours, international tours. But meanwhile, we know that not everybody's going to make money playing this game. So if we can get them in the right rooms through golf, like that's going to change lives forever. Can you give people at least an idea that are not familiar if they don't have kids that play AJGA or didn't play AJGA themselves or kind of kind of give people an idea of what the pipeline into competitive golf looks like and what the hurdle is to clear for, you know, young, you know, young people of any of any race or, or color playing golf growing up? Yeah, I mean, the introductory phase is actually really solid right now. There's um, obviously everybody, most people who know golf know have heard of the first tee. Uh, the PGA of America has great programs, the PGA Junior League, and that's they've done a great job of trying to get clubs in kids' hands early. Uh, there's an organization called Youth on Course that does a lot of amazing work to kind of be the bridge of, okay, kids are interested in the game. They go to the driving range. They go to the first tee uh, programs and their, their sites, but then they want to go play, and you can't afford green fees. They can't afford to go to different places, and so they subsidize that effort uh, to get kids on courses. But from, you know, let's call it from eight years old, maybe nine, eight, nine, ten to, you know, 17 when they're trying to become, you know, college ready, it's an expensive journey. It's, a, you know, obviously we know golf and equipment, uh, travel, you know, lodging, uh, 
registration fees, like they're amazing tournaments. And if you can afford to do it, like it's, it's such a rewarding experience. And, you know, there's so many different success stories of people who have gone, uh, both, you know, young boys and girls who have gone through that program. But if you don't have that access, you don't have that know-how exactly to your question, even from a parent perspective, if you don't know where to send your kids who are passionate about the game and you obviously can't afford to, uh, to keep up that pace. Like that's where a lot of kids get left behind. And so we're trying to, you know, be support and be uh, resources in that window. And like I said, there's so many talented kids that get a club in the hand early. You see that light, you know, kind of that light bulb go off. And what do they do from there? And for us, that's a, that's a huge uh, goal of ours uh, to kind of answer that question. But like you said, also, it's just getting them in the golf ecosystem. It doesn't mean you have to make your way all the way to, to any kind of tour of any kind. But if you... If you even if you make it to play D three college golf or something, and that leads you to a, a whole different network and path of uh, golf has led me so many different places, and it's a it is a privilege though, man. It's it's not something that's afforded to everyone, and a lot of people talk about growing the game, and a lot of it I roll my eyes at honestly, and I, I just I, I I'm still stunned to like I think we did a podcast three years ago where we were talking about what you were doing with Howard, and I'm I'm stunned that you know it's an NBA star that's kind of taken all these initiatives in, in the game of golf, and I think it's fantastic, but. What, what's the update at Howard? I mean, not only, you know, have you, have you started a new initiative, but there's an initiative you've been involved with, I think, four years, five years now. Uh, it's amazing how much time has flown, flown by here. But for people that aren't familiar with what you started or booted back up at, at Howard, uh, and, and what, what what have you seen from that program since uh, since the, the golf program has been revitalized? Yes, to your point, it's been five years since we announced Jeez. this was happening, and they're currently in their third season. So it's... The same kind of energy I have around the underrated golf tour is exactly what Howard was supposed to be. It's the North Star of like people uh, giving a vision of what's possible through the game. Exactly what you just said about, uh, again, there's some really talented kids that I, I hope and pray that, you know, you see them on uh, the professional tour some way and they're making money playing this game. But what these kids have shown in terms of that golf ecosystem, the, the world and the business of golf, the ability to walk into a room with presence and, you know, present themselves, uh, their passions, their interests, you know, have people, mentors that have, um, you know, come answer the call on how can they, uh, you know, help these these kids kind of understand what the path is to, you know, leadership positions in all different type of in industries. And meanwhile, they're playing amazing golf. Uh, they've they've won the uh, PGA Works Championship. The men's side has won the PGA Works National Championship the last two years. You've had Greg Odom Jr., who's uh, going into his third year on the team, who's played in uh, a PGA Tour event. Um, EJ Whiten, who's uh, another amazing talent, uh, who's been with our, our program for the, these last three years, kind of taking strides, has played in a couple Corn Ferry events. Um we have, you know, women on the team as well who are excelling. Kendall Jackson, who's won a couple of tournaments, I believe, who's just an amazing represent, representative of what uh, golf should be, but also HBCUs and how uh, special those those universities and, and co black colleges are. Just creating, again, opportunity. And so for us, like how quickly this is kind of taking shape has been awesome. You know, our coach, Sam, like he's he's just been a true like pioneer of taking this opportunity and running with it. And so I hope that uh, you'll see us competing at the national level. Uh, hopefully really soon we're starting to, you know, get into that recruiting circles and there's a lot of these cycles that go, go through it. But uh, super happy that a vision that was born out of a random meeting with a, a Howard uh, student 
name OJ, uh, sorry, uh, Otis Ferguson, uh, the fourth and him talking about, I've uh, been playing, you know, on the, uh, the club golf team for a while. And I want to, you know, bring the division one men's and women's golf teams back. Like, how do we make this happen? And five years later, we're here. Do you feel, I guess, the momentum that you've kind of seen happen with Howard, is that, is that kind of a, a uh, at least a, a, a motivator with the underrated golf tour? Do you, do you kind of get the sense that the ball is really rolling in, in minority development in golf outside of just what you're doing? I think it is. I think it's gauging kind of the public interest and I, public meaning uh, the traditions of golf and the people that are making who make decisions in the in the world of golf are where uh, investments really really at. And I think there are so many um, clubs around the country that have you know even re picked up the phone and said, "Hey, can we host the underrated tour uh, stop here?" There's been uh, countless uh, marketing. Uh, a- agents from different companies who say, hey, we want to support this in whatever way, like how can we start a conversation? There's so many people that want to be involved and help and maybe have for a long time, but never really knew how to. And so for us to to kind of get that response and that energy, I feel like the tide is changing on that. Um, I think there needs to be a little bit more time for us to really kind of see the fruits of all the labor because, you know, for us in the Howard Golf Team, we've had maybe one graduate who's left. And this this crop that's been there now has been representative of these teams for the last three years uh, are really about to blossom. The underrated golf tour. We just had our first senior class last year and three are in uh, playing, you know, division one college golf right now. So one's actually going to Howard next year. So it's pretty, pretty awesome to see all the different connectivity there. You know, we're we're still motivated knowing that this is, you know, still early in our uh, journey. But to your question about the, the landscape overall, I feel like there's just a lot of attention on, okay, this is models that can work and how can everybody be a part of it or, you know, find a way to take the baton and run with it themselves. Hmm. Well, it goes without saying anything that we can do to help that in, in any way. We are, uh, we, we are all ears on all that, but, uh, what, what is, what is golf? What, what does your future look like in golf after your, your basketball playing career? I'm sure there's a lot of basketball fans that are, would love me to pen you down on when that would be. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that at some point your career, your basketball career will come to an end. Do you picture yourself kind of transitioning to something more full-time with golf at that point? Yeah. I mean, I got three years left on my current NBA deal and uh, there's a new TV deal coming next summer, I believe. So the, the, uh, the collective barter agreement is looking really good for me to stay in shape and keep playing basketball for as long as I can. But when it's all said and done, I want to find a way to, you know, scratch the competitive itch. And I don't necessarily envision chasing a professional career in golf at all, but just in terms of like all the amateur events you can play. I know there's some guys that have uh, kind of written a playbook on uh, what that kind of schedule looks like. Some of the celebrity stuff that I, there's another one in Orlando that play with the LPGA, obviously Tahoe, some other amateur events that I can play in or try to qualify for and all that type of stuff. So you'll probably see me all over the place there. But then when it comes to what we were just talking about with underrated and Howard and um, understanding where they're going to be three years from now and being able to jump in, like from a time perspective for me, is going to be uh, exciting. Even knowing how cool it is, some of these people who've created, you know, courses for themselves and like what course design looks like and creating uh, uh, an experience there, something that's kind of piqued my interest. So uh, I feel like there's going to be uh, a nice portfolio of stuff that, from a golf perspective across those three different buckets that you'll see me show up in heavily. Um, and obviously I'll maintain a basketball presence. I don't think I want to go into to coaching or anything like that, but 
um, in some way, make sure I'm giving back to the game that has blessed me. Uh, but I haven't really figured that one out yet. <laughs> Golf is, uh, yeah, it's it's clearly a passion. I absolutely love it. What? Uh, let's go back. I want to talk about the match, not the one from this summer. I want to go way back, three years. You want to fill it? Yeah, yeah. Filling Chuck. That I think we did our pod la- literally right before that happened. You're playing with Peyton up against Phil and Chuck. What what was that competitive scene like, right? I mean, it's a made-for-TV product. You're mic'd up. It's entertaining, but I know you're competitive as hell. You want to beat those guys, yet you're not a professional golfer. You're playing against a Hall of Famer. I know he's got Charles Barkley holding him down, but, like, that, that, that was just such an interesting whole concept, right, of, like, all right, he's a plus one. Oh, he's not really a plus one. Look, he can't hit it. What was kind of that, that, uh, that experience like? I absolutely loved it because – there's no way for anybody to, I talked to Clay when we did this one, there's no way to explain when you're playing golf and you know it's on TV, you know you're playing, like to your point, alternate shot with uh, with Peyton Manning, who's who's a solid golfer, but neither one of us have ever made any money playing the game. And, you know, we understand where, what our our skill set is. And then you look over and it's, it's Phil Mickelson uh, kind of giving game from the time he showed up on property showing off his clubs, all the different physics he goes through in every shot. And it's like just another language that you have no idea what he's talking about. Meanwhile, Chuck's over there. And I feel like, man, I feel like we got hustled because it was at Phil's home course. They had been there for a whole week kind of scouting it out. It was like the Ryder Cup because uh, he was the home team and he got to set up the course how he wanted to. <laughs> and so we were just walked into a bus and the conversation around like, what does a plus one actually look like? And what other plus ones that have played, you know, better in that scenario. Um, I just love the, the, the conversations around golf because until you're in that environment, you have no idea how you'll respond or what the emotions are. And you look at pros who've, you know, go out and shoot 63 with their eyes closed. And then when the lights come on in a tournament, it's a totally different ball game. And once until you're in there, it's um, it's hard to explain. So I, I, I love being tested in that way. So I would love to play more of them just because there's no better feeling of adrenaline and nerves and, and everything it brings out of you. But uh, Phil definitely got the best of us from a strategy and performance standpoint. Um, you just hate to see it. <laughs> That's the thing that people don't, I get this all the time on, on, on the internet as well, but people don't realize that when you're a plus one, like, Hey, 12 of your 20 scores, they're getting thrown out. Like I shoot 80 all the time, absolutely all the time. Right. But I'll also post a 68 every now and then, like, that's kind of the deal. Like sometimes plus ones look like, you know, that wasn't your best, that wasn't your best golf, but man, it's hard playing golf in front of cameras and all that stuff going on is a totally different beast. I think you need to get in like the mid am circuit like that's you're, you've been talking like kind of celebrity stuff i want to see you get into like kind of the real amateur stuff 25 and older i think you really thrive in that environment yeah it's on my radar for sure i got I got some boys who uh play golf with in charlotte and some guys i, I play with regularly out in my club in california who've who've tried to qualify for it once one played uh, last year out in uh sleepy hollow i think mm-hmm. you read last year Mid-Am, yeah um in the mid am so they kind of living vicariously through them on what that experience is like. That's definitely in my future for sure. Um, but to your point, it's about can you get the right window of time to kind of get everything sharp leading up to my golf is hit or miss. I don't know when I – I think the long, the furthest in advance I've scheduled a tournament is only Tahoe just because it's the same week every year. But other than that, on the regular, I don't know if I'm playing tomorrow or, you know, six days from now, especially when you have these kids. So – it's a little, a little different vibe, but in due time, that definitely is in my future. 
I think the last I saw you was uh, at Whistling Straits at the Ryder Cup. Did you watch much of the uh, the Ryder Cup this year in Italy? I stayed up late on the West Coast for sure to watch as much as I could. I, even for, I saw the opening tee shot on the four ball uh, first round. I think I kind of dozed off around maybe whole 14 or so and woke up to the massacre. So it was uh, – I. For me, it was just mad fun because I think the course showed really well. It was like a really fun venue for them to host it at. Obviously, the Europeans played unbelievable. I know there's a lot of nitpicking around uh, some of you know Zach Johnson's groupings early in the uh, in the tournament and all that type of stuff. But when you look at it, the Europeans just outplayed them, and there's no there's no two ways around it. So I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully. I went to the one at. Um, uh, What's it called? Whistling Straits and, and and saw, you know, how, but it was right kind of at the end of COVID. So it was a different atmosphere. Everybody who says, if you love the Ryder Cup, uh, I talked to interview Michael Jordan about golf and his love for the Ryder Cup. And he was like, there's just no better uh, experience than going over across the pond and, and being there uh, for that uh, hostility and that energy over there. But I'm looking forward to uh, us kind of responding at Beth Page next uh, in two years. And I hope to be there to watch them. Well, I mean, you've been a part of great teams, and I know golf is is a weird sport. It's individual, you know, 103 weeks out of 104 every two-year cycle for for Europeans. I know that the Americans have the President's Cup as well. But what what do you what do you anything any of your team sport insight and your golf experience combined into anything to say? Like, what 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 would you possibly do to kind of simulate the culture or, or imitate the culture that Europe's able to create to be able to play this amazing golf in this event in the U.S. Can't do, seem to do consistently. They can do it periodically, but they cannot do it consistently year to year. Any insight on that? It's tough because even my like Team USA experience. You know, we got we play against each other all year. I played on two World Cup teams, and this is uh, like as close as I would get to. Are right, we throwing guys together with two weeks to prepare, and you're trying to build chemistry and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And that's why for us in basketball, like the world has caught up because there's a lot more synergy of guys that have played together forever and they just know each other so well. And it tends to bleed into the performance on the court of one, how different international play is, but, you know, just uh, the the comfortability and familiarity uh, with each other. So I don't know if that's a similar kind oh, of. That's sin- exactly why I wanted to ask you. Like it's because yeah. it's just different. Like you got to play a different role when you're playing on Team USA than you do on the Warriors. And that's just I don't feel like that's how the U.S. treats it. And I feel like how Europe treats it in golf. And I know it's obviously different, but there's something to that. Yeah. I mean, those learnings, though, that's that's the challenge, right? Because once the, the power balance shifts um, and I know the world and landscape of golf is shifting every day and it's, it's a lot to be kind of solved there. But how we kind of respond to that and how you build like a culture of, you know, Team USA golf. I know you dominate the President's Cup, but the Ryder Cup, that's the one unanswered question that we got to figure out. So. Like, I don't know from a coaching perspective, even too, how do you build like that team culture from the time, you know, you're starting to recruit and how every detail matters um, in terms of how you, uh, you know, you communicate with the guys that you know are already qualified to the guys that are on the bubble to, you know, the selection process and how that all kind of bleeds into the, the vibe and the energy that you bring to whatever, if it's, you know, overseas or here. Like all that stuff matters for us. Coaching is a huge part of you know success in terms of building culture and being able to rely on that, especially when you deal with a little bit of adversity um, and what the, the team rooms are, are feeling like. Just seems like they have way more fun, too. So I don't know if that's a if that's a part of it and there's that comfortability and that familiarity. And 
you want everybody to bring their ego, right? You want them to bring their the talent and and who they are. But that sacrifices for me. I, without having talked to them, I don't know how much that blends into what you know. I'm just trying to put that ball in the hole, but I know it goes way way beyond that. Um, you know, and that's the one I'm I'm curious about as a fan for sure. The constant tug. I'm like, I'm the exact same way. I'm like, ah, it's just about the golf. Ah, no, it's not more than just the golf. Like we've clearly seen that to this point. I'm curious. A basketball question there. You you just referred to international play being different. What what is so different about it? I, I I'm a basketball fan, but I struggle to still put my finger on that after seeing it for so many years. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because. It's a the spacing is usually a little different because personnel is different and and the game has to be played a certain way based on the way that they put teams together. Like you watch us in the NBA, you might only see you know one big out of out of the five guys on the court, um, and, and predominantly in FIBA, you know it's kind of a more traditional style of basketball. Uh, the way that's refereed is different, and so you have to kind of adjust to that and. I think the spacing part is for us like the biggest thing to adjust to because shooting is such a um, a priority and such a valuable skill set. Uh, and when you don't have it, and your ability to you know create space and create good shots and becomes becomes harder. And it's like the college tournament, um, the March Madness vibe, where you know. One, I know as a critique of the NBA is our regular season doesn't matter. We feel like it matters and like there's just 82 games that you kind of have to pace yourself. But in FIBA, like it's it's win or there's serious consequences every single night. And a lot of guys have a hard time living up to that. And that's what you know makes it so much fun to watch. Speaking of international ball and shooting in particular, what, what's what's the buzz like around Wimby? I know he's a, he's a spur, he's not a warrior, but you know he played last. We're recording this again on Saturday. He played last night, made a, made quite a splash. Have you seen? Like, what's the hype like for him compared to all the people you've seen come and go in your time in the league? I mean, it's different just because he's he's from France, and not many people have seen him. Like when LeBron was coming out, and KD was coming out, Derrick Rose was coming out, all the guys that were going to be you know, number one or number two pick and like the next biggest thing. Like you saw them a lot more up close and personal in later years in high school and obviously in college. But Wemby was like this myth that was like it's a seven four guy that plays like a shooting guard and but nobody really watched his games. So now when you see him it's like it just looks like an alien out there. And uh we actually play a preseason game against them, our last preseason game. So I'm have a better understanding once you see his presence on the court. Because I, I, I don't think I've ever been on a court with a guy that tall, let alone a guy that that has a skill set he does. So it's great for the league to have you know uh, a phenom like that that's coming in and on a team that's trying to you know reestablish who they are. Obviously, Popovich is a happy man, so <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch his, his his rookie year unfold for sure. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Best of luck with the 2023-2024 uh, season. Congratulations again on being named the 2024 Charlie Sifford Award winner. Uh, I will be honing my game for the next, I don't know, three to eight years. Who knows how long <laughs> it'll be for, uh, to be ready for you when you get make your way out in the mid-amp circuit. We appreciate the time, man. Absolutely. Maybe we can get a little four-ball going and figure it out. But a uh, big fan of the pod. Uh, there's a golf nerd and a golf junkie that every tournament recap and – uh, just the way that y'all break it down for the layman and also the, uh, the knowledgeable golf fan. It's a big, big deal. So appreciate y'all having me on again. You bet. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 
Better than most. How about in? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect 